Hello there, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Not The Top 20 podcast for the first time in 2021. I'm Ali Maxwell. He's George Ellick. We are talking all things EFL. George, we hit 92 episodes Ooh. in the totality of 2020. Ironic that, because that is all the EFL clubs, including the top 20. One for each. And we're pleased to reveal our new Premier League podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no. Interesting you say that. We've had a couple of requests in the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Well, I think there are a few Leeds fans who are who are struggling to fill the void, um, not not for, not finding any of the big Premier League podcasts covering Leeds United as as well as they would like. But no, we are very much fully focused on the EFL and looking forward to getting into what was a uh, well uh, an EFL weekend that was struck by both a lot of COVID postponements and a fair few frozen pitches as well. So something very much new in the last year and another thing that has always been present in English football. Some things never change. Just a word of warning, guys. Um, George and I both had soup for lunch today. Yes. That's the most first Monday in January thing I think I've ever heard. But it also means that towards the end of this podcast, if I start getting a little bit grouchy, a little bit hungry, you know why. Um, I'm sure George will stay professional throughout. But before we get into it, let's just talk a little bit about the state of play with regards to the pandemic um, because it, it, it is having an, a big effect on the EFL and it will probably be even more at the forefront of the news in the EFL specifically. And, and you know, we won't get into public health and more general things because that's not our area of expertise. But um, the big news on, on Saturday around lunchtime, George, is that the EFL are sanctioning twice weekly testing this is quite a big development this is quite a big change and from a from a health perspective it has to be the right thing but it does mean that the next week could be pretty lively in this regard yeah i i think this conversation is probably going to date quite quickly um either way because we have to assume that you know we're recording this at half past one on monday the 4th of january and I'd guess this morning there are probably a fair few EFL clubs who are being tested and the results will come out pretty soon. And if there are positives throughout the country, then pretty quickly it's going to transpire that we can't carry on. You know, we'll wait and see. Uh, there's no doubt that, you know, no matter, we've seen a few managers come out recently and talk about the need for um, a, a postponement, maybe a, a prolonging of the season in the in League One and League Two. That's a bit easier than in the Championship, of course, because of the Euros in the summer. Um, but I, I think it seems pretty obvious that the EFL are absolutely intent on trying to make sure that the games continue for as long as possible. Um, but it's just, it, it, you know, the, the country itself is in a position now, which is, even though we understand more about what's going on in terms of, of the, the sheer rate of infection across the country and the amount of, of positive tests. Um, last time we were here, there was no football going on at all and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. So fingers crossed this time next week, we're not scrambling around for things to talk about with no games, but um, it should become clear pretty soon. We will have a pod next Monday regardless. It might be something of a, a mid-term review or maybe a, a redo of our 124s. What sort of thing would you guys be after for that sort of mid-season pod? Do let us know because we've got a few different ideas, but it's always good to, to hear what you guys would like to hear at NTT20pod. Let's talk football now because we did have plenty of games over the weekend. Uh, only nine in the championship, but no draws. So we will touch on all of them. Starting with Swansea 2, Watford 1. This was probably the most eye catching fixture ahead of the weekend in terms of league positions anyway super swans on the day with this win from behind the first time they'd won 
from behind all season and you know we're always looking for new things to say about Swansea because they're so consistent in what they've done in the first half of the season so I guess that was almost the headline winning from behind uh, and and very much deserving of that win Uh, it was another eye-catching performance from Swans and from their number nine yeah, it's hard to win too often from behind when you keep 13 clean sheets. I think <laughs> I think if I was a Swansea fan, I'd be happier to, to keep clean sheets than have to go one nil down to, to reply. But yeah, it was an impressive performance um, from Swansea. And you have to say they were unlucky to be one nil down. Uh, I think Freddie Woodman will feel like he could have done much better with Tom Cleverley's long-range effort. Um, but once they were one nil down, I mean, this was kind of a classic game state game. And that was my issue with... Cisco Munoz and his uh, Watford side was that they were just so reactive all game that they went ahead and tried to sit on their lead. There was a, you know, something of of a, of a attempted comeback after they went two one behind. But you know, for a manager who's been brought in to bring a positive style of football, you'd have liked to see them try and influence the game a little bit more at one nil and certainly at one all, rather than kind of shuffling back into into two banks. But <clears throat> for Swansea and for Jamal Lowe. Um, it's really impressive. Uh, I think it's a massive benefit for them, um, having been so reliant on Andre Ayew for the last, for however long, really, um, in terms of, of goal goal output, to have a front two now where both players are offering that, with <clears throat> Jamal Lowe getting just two goals in his first 17, I think it was, and six in his last six, and all kinds of goals as well. The first one, um, a lovely kind of past curling shot into the bottom right-hand corner from 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 distance. And then the second, a header, which is something we've, we don't really see too much from him. Um, yeah, a big win for Swansea. It'll feel to them like this is a win that signifies their rightful place towards the top end of the championship. Because I still don't think Watford's uh, operating at that level yet, I'm, I'm not necessarily agreeing. But at the same time, given their defensive record, given the strength of IU and, and low up front, um they, they certainly are deserving of their of their lofty second position at the moment. Yeah, the buzzwords for me on the weekend, and I will try not to repeat things that I said on Quest in general, but just to expand on what I said, I guess, more than anything, uh, consistent and complete, the two Cs when it comes to Swansea, uh, consistent in their performances, which you can't really say for a lot of teams in the Championship this season. Um, certainly Norwich and Bournemouth and Brentford will hold their hands up. Um, that The rest of the top four, certainly in recent weeks, is having pretty solidly consistent level of performance. But Swansea's maybe more so than anyone. Uh, it might not be that their ceiling is as high as a Norwich or a Bournemouth or a Brentford, but their average performance level um, is right up there. Uh, apart from that one game against Derby on the 16th of December where they were absolutely miserable. You know, even in drawing to Reading... Uh, uh, the day before, uh, on the 30th of December, you know, very much uh, should should have won that game. If they had taken their chances, it would have looked very comfortable. So a real consistency to their performance levels, a repeatability to the way that they play. Um, and that kind of leads into them being this complete team that, that I'm talking about as well. And, and that is basically quite simple. They are excellent at the back, as you mentioned, with the clean sheets, but they do create enough chances as well that they are... You know, there are some good defensive sides across the division, um, but of them, Swans are also the ones that, that seem to create good chances and take them as well. That midfield three is working really well. Um, Gibbs White's injury took them maybe a week or two to to get over. Um, and ironically, it's as he's now back from injury that that midfield three of Fulton, Grimes and Smith 
are in absolutely magnificent form, you have to say. Um, Smith got both assists here, one of them a short pass and the other one a brilliant cross to the back post for low. Uh, but I just like the way that in possession, you know, they're, they're very comfortable having it in the back three, uh, the three centre-backs. But you'll see the, the, that midfield three, Fulton, Grimes and Smith, they take up really interesting positions. They spread out all across the pitch. And I think teams are just finding it really difficult to handle the varied threats of Swans, of course, because down the right side, especially with Roberts, they are so good as well. So uh, a complete team. It's been really good to watch them over the last few weeks can't really be more positive about them they've got uh, Barnsley away and Blackburn away up next and then Brentford at home so the next three fixtures are really tricky Tough. I yeah. mean, uh, it was a, it was a poor performance from Watford you know not too many conclusions this early on in Cisco's reign but I couldn't understand how they they failed to get any joy down the sides of Swansea you know playing 4-4-2 um, with Saar and Semmer, with attack-minded fullbacks as well, and Swansea playing a three-five-two with with really just wingbacks, you'd say on that uh, on the flanks. It's hard for me to see how they couldn't try and exploit that at all, and, and maybe it's credit to Swansea. But yeah, it feels like Watford's problems are, as we probably could have guessed, not exactly a quick fix. Which leads me on to asking you: Can we now say with Brentford, Bournemouth, Swansea, and Norwich that we have a top four? Do you think? No. no. <clears throat> No, I, I don't think so because there are still, you know, in terms of just a point gap, you've only got one point down to Reading and then, you know, it's four down to Watford. But with, with Watford, you've still got a squad of players who, whilst it might feel at the moment like they're slightly overhyped, um, there's no denying that there is an ability, you know, that they're on 37 points from 22 games and not playing well. Um, and a slight improvement will see them crash that party. We're talking also about a few sides here um, in Norris, Swansea, Bournemouth and Brentford who've been in decent form recently, but we can probably expect there to be a run at times of poor results. And Reading sitting in fifth, I'm way more convinced by Reading now than, than I was after that ridiculous run of wins at the start of the season. They, they do feel like a much better side. I don't expect them to break into the into the top four. And I'm still not saying that the borrower out of it either, given the way that they are picking up points at the moment as well and they've learned how to win on the road. So it, it certainly feels at the moment like those four teams are the most likely to make up the top four, but I don't think it's uh, you know it's, it's an open and closed book, um, open and shut book. <laughs> um, I, I think this is a it's still fairly open and and often I think especially in the championship when you when you make sweeping statements about teams and their destinies um that's often when you you're made to look like a fool because as we know any team can be anyone as much of a cliche as it is very well dodged i tried to trap you in there but uh but no dice. <laughs> norwich beat barnsley norwich are league leaders of course uh they had they hadn't won in their previous two games so they'll be thrilled to get this three points uh, which gives them a four point gap to Swansea in second place and another two so six between themselves and Bournemouth in third uh, this was like a Bundesliga game uh, you know em eminently predictable as well now that we know how Barnsley approach games against the uh, the very top sides which is the same as they approach every single game I think there's a really fun sort of comparison to the to the conversation around Leeds United and how they're getting on in the Premier League and especially uh, in some of those blowout defeats to the top sides um, but yeah the the first thing to say is the Norwich goal and they'll be yeah. they'll be kicking themselves that they didn't score at least three. Pookie will not have a clue how he has gone through this week. Um that that draw with QPR and then this win against Barnsley without scoring a goal. But um but the goal itself was magnificent from a player not sure if we've ever spoken about him before actually George. Um Emiliano Buendia or as I'm starting to call him 50 Miliano Buendia. Why 50? Why not 60 Miliano? No, that's silly. 
Um, I mean, we all have to adore him. I was wondering when I was watching the highlights back when there are um, Premier League managers watching, like say David Moyes is watching Quest and he sees Brendan but doing what he's doing. Like you must just think like, what, how do we let this happen? How do we let this guy continue playing in the championship? He is just absolutely brilliant. And my favourite bit thing about his goal, the run is, of course, fantastic. The, the timing of the volley is brilliant. But it's the way that he like checks his step on the run up to hitting it. He takes like a longer, a longer step, about two strides beforehand in order to time it well, which when you're doing that at that pace is some skill. Um, he every every aspect of his game, every facet of his game is is elite. And, you know, we've been asked a couple of times whether or not we expect him to stay at Norwich. It, I mean, it would take a big fee to get him. You know, we're talking 50 million plus, but I think he's worth it. I, I think, you know, it, say he were to go in the summer, make one step up and go to a West Ham or, or you know, a, a, a Villa or somewhere. It wouldn't be long before he's he's being touted around for much more than that to, to an elite, elite club. Um, but I, I'm sure Norwich will be very, very keen to keep hold of him. But um, yeah, what a play and what a goal. And a big miss by uh, your Polish brother, Michael Helic, uh, at the very <laughs> end of that game. Could have been a draw, but that probably wouldn't have been a fair result. Definitely wouldn't have been a fair result on, on the balance of play. As I said, Norwich were quite wasteful, not necessarily in missing a load of sitters, but in just like having so many openings, having so many balls in behind where they just didn't get the final pass right. And uh, Puki was guilty. Cantwell was guilty at times as well. Um, not the end of the world. They, they still played really good stuff. And predictably, a lot of love for Barnsley from Norwich fans in the Sunday scouting reports. Easy to do when you've when you've won the game. I think that's fair to say. But also understandable, I think, where you know the majority of teams who go to Carrow Road now will go for the old low block try and nick a nil-nil masterclass it doesn't make for a great spectacle so a bit of a treat I guess for for Norwich to see a team come and, and trade blows with them uh, and it almost works I mean the, the thing about Barnsley is so this is their record against the top teams 1-0 defeat to Norwich 2-0 defeat to Swansea 4-0 defeat to Bournemouth 1-0 defeat to Reading 2 uh, sorry 1-0 defeat to Brentford 2-0 defeat to Reading uh, they did beat Watford 1-0 um, but 2-1 defeat to Borough and two all against Stoke. So those are the teams above them. They're in ninth in the table. So we are holding them to very high standards here, but that's clearly, uh, you know, that's the main reason why they're on 34 points and not 40 points. And yeah. that is, is this, it is the same question, isn't it, basically, that you talk about with Leeds. Like, should they make some compromises to their style of play in order to maybe get a few more points against teams at the very top? And I think, like... There's, there's always an assumption that it's easy just to be like, yeah, just be more defensive, guys. Just be more defensive. <laughs> and it'll be, and you'll definitely, like, you'll nick a nil-nil here and there. I'm not sure it's quite that easy, but you can kind, no. of, you can, you can kind of see why the question's being asked because they and, and, they do get split open. But but they also, the reason why they're so good at it against worse sides, and it's, it's the same, you know, not to talk about Premier League stuff too much, but it's the same with Leeds. Like, the reason yeah. why Leeds are able to tear teams apart who are who are weaker than them. And the reason why Barnsley can do the same is because they play that way in every game. They are so well drilled. They know what they're doing. Like every game that all of those young players play, playing the system, tracking their market, tracking their men, pressing high, it means that even if they are being picked off by sides who are, who are capable of the counter-attack, who have better um, players unlocking um, high presses from deeper positions, it means they're going to be better at it in other games. So it, it's not as easy as just to, to switch up what you're doing game by game. Swansea have done it recently, and that has really impressed me, the, the way that they've managed to do that. But I wonder if that's going to be a more of a long-term shift rather than a game-by-game -game basis. But um, 
I love watching Barnsley play. And, and I think, you know, they're on 34 points from 23 games, having had their, you know, talismanic manager mm. leave early on in the season. It's a hell of an effort. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess at the, at the core of this discussion it is, it, I think it's something of a football truth that if you're an underdog, the best way to raise the probability of getting a result is to try and keep the game on on very low margins is to basically try and make the goal expectancy for the game as small as possible so that there's more chance for a lucky break for you know to nick a goal and and therefore uh, it's harder for the opposition to 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 get enough to win but yeah I'm I mean I'm fully with you uh, I wouldn't want to see them make any compromises and it's the system itself that's basically raised their profile but yeah I mean a hell of an entertaining side Barnsley I've said I said on Quest if you if you're a neutral and you want to watch a championship game at this stage I'm pretty much ready to say just watch Barnsley every week uh, I mean they haven't drawn a game in like what is that probably 18 19 fixtures they, they're either winning or losing so it's good fun um Sheffield Wednesday beat Derby 1-0 on Friday night George it's not one to dwell on this this was an ugly game uh, I've been enjoying watching a lot of games in the bar <sighs> in, in the bath as you know over the Christmas period but this was a this was a game too far for the players and potentially a, a soak too far for me because uh, no one got any enjoyment out of it whatsoever but Sheffield Wednesday did get three points <laughs> they um, got they got great enjoyment out of it back-to-back wins um I mean, this was a, a smash and grabs go. This is, is pretty high up there. Uh, I was really impressed with Derby in the first half. I mean, it was it was a grim game, but Sheffield Wednesday are, are pretty adept at making games fairly grim. Um, and Derby missed a fair share of chances. But it kind of never really felt like that kind of game where you were like, oh, Derby are going to regret this because Sheffield Wednesday offered so little going forward. I mean, Kadeem Harris's pace at times did, but but realistically, they were pretty toothless because Ian Richards missed missed a fairly easy chance and um, they were just wasteful going forwards and the goal itself is just like I think if you're going to have a one nil smash and grab that is the goal that's got to happen it's just a set piece which Derby failed to clear so many times and somehow Patterson's able to nod it past a keeper and two men on the line and two men flanking him um, but that's what this is what Sheffield Wednesday need now I mean this season is turning into a nightmare for them. You know, they've been through two managers. There have been issues in terms of playing the staff. The relationship between the owner and the fans is a breaking point. They had a 12-point deduction reduced to six. This season now is just all about just, just survival by any by any means, by any which way. And getting two wins on the bounce, even if they're undeserved, even if there's no real discernible progress in terms of a style of play. Like, I, I saw... A couple of tweets being like, "Do we give Neil Thompson the job? He's clearly getting the best out of the players." Nonsense, nonsense. Like these, these are not good performances. They, they are good results. Um, so, well, that's going to be matters. interesting I mean, who comes in. Look, yeah, we, of course, we, that's all that matters now. Of course, it is. <laughs> we spoke at length about what we think Sheffield Wednesday, or how rather they should approach uh, managerial appointments on a podcast about a month ago when Tony Pulis was hired. So we won't go too in depth there. Um, Paul Cook is the current favourite. I, I mean, I can only. I can only speak for myself when I say that 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 for me pretty much ticks every box like for both parties yeah. as well and boy would I love to see a Sheffield Wednesday side playing some good football and I think Paul Cook can achieve that um he's not a strong favorite so you know at the moment it, it's not like that's nailed on or anything uh, lots of names have been bandied about a lot of um names from abroad as well uh, but Cook is the current favorite so maybe this time next week Chanziri will have made a, an appointment and touch wood this one works well uh, Wickham lost 3-1 at home to Middlesbrough um George 
Talk to me about your emotions and your thoughts when you saw the day before the game, Neil Warnock give a big interview, bigging up Marcus <laughs> Brown, formerly a favourite at Oxford United on loan. Uh, and then when Marcus Brown got his first start of the season uh, and headed in an equaliser in the first half. Um, great to see him playing football again. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'd like to hear Carl Robinson's thoughts on <laughs> on the interview that Neil Warnock gave where he said that he, you know, what did he say? He couldn't have him. He wanted him out of the club in the summer. Yeah, he was trying to bomb him out. I'm pretty sure um, Carl Robinson would have something to say about that because he made his intentions on signing Marcus Brown pretty, pretty, pretty clear. And I, I have a feeling it was um, it wasn't Marcus Brown who pulled the plug on that deal. So I think this was Neil Warnock doing what Neil Warnock does, giving an interview in which the desire the desired effect um, is what happened. Uh, it's also Marcus Neil Warnock Brown. doing what Neil Warnock has been doing with Middlesbrough and uh, exactly making the most of the players at his disposal <laughs> rather than demanding a ton of new ones. Yeah, I mean, what he's doing in terms of the way he's coaching this squad is is just incredible. Um, I still have. It, I hope nobody ever clips up what I said about them um, in the uh, pre-season betting show. Well, if you stop mentioning it, mate, maybe people will forget. Well, yeah, but that's the important thing <laughs> is that it just shows just what he's been doing. You know, you, you look at the players who are coming, I mean, the, the improvement of players such as Dyke Steele, such as George Saville this season, such as Marvin Johnson. Like Marcus Brown comes in and scores a goal. Tuba Akpom playing at a level, you know, he's never played at in his career in terms of performance levels. Um, it's And I haven't even mentioned Tavernier either. Like, it, it is incredible what he's done there. Um, you know, we talk a lot about going back to Leeds and Bielsa, like the the impact of, you know, this amazing manager coming in and improving the standard of a side without, without doing much in the transfer market. I mean, Neil Warnock's doing something pretty similar here. You know, he's taken a group of players who over 18 months have been underperforming, threatened by relegation, you know, Tony Pulis had them capable enough. Jonathan Woodgate struggled and the, and the recruitment was poor and he's turned them into a side who I've just mentioned could break into the top four. It, it is an incredible job he's doing. Absolutely incredible. Other bright sparks were, I mean, just nice, nice wrinkles. Nice wrinkles, as always in the EFL. This nice wrinkle is that um, Middlesbrough set pieces are taken by their centre-back Paddy McNair including corners it's very rare that you get a centre-back swinging in the, the corners that's what we like to see I'm thinking of Mulgrew uh, I can't think of a ton of others though since no. we've been covering the EFL um, please tweet us which centre-backs take corners that's the question Paddy McNair takes excellent corners one of them headed in by Brown as mentioned uh, and then later on he tried a, a Joe Jacobson tribute act at Adams Park <laughs> Almost got it inside the near post. Uh, the keeper managed to sort of claw it out and it was stabbed in by Akpom. Tavernier doing Tavernier things, uh, as you mentioned there, a sort of Arjen Robin tribute act there, if if you like. Um, and then, yeah, just worth pointing out that Middlesbrough have scored the joint most goals in the championship in the last, in the last 10 games. So a reminder, it's almost like we're Neil Warnock's PR agency, which he doesn't need, to be honest. The record speaks for itself. I'm available. I've worked in the industry before. But just a reminder to never put Neil Warnock in the same lazy, narrative-driven bracket as a Tony Pulis or as a Sam Allardyce when it comes to like style of play, play and stuff because that is simply not fair, not true. And from a Wiccan perspective, the, the positive here was um, a goal and a performance, probably more so than the goal from Ik Piazu, um, which stood out, signed in the summer. Yeah. I mean... I wanted to talk a little bit about Ik Piazu because I really I, I liked him a lot when he was playing for Cambridge, um, twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen, the seventeen eighteen season. He he had a, a big workload, played 
3,300 minutes uh, for Cambridge and he scored 12 goals. He was by no means prolific in League Two and he and it wasn't one of those where it was like he's about to become prolific either. But he was interesting because mm. he had a mixture of skills. He's got natural size um, and he's also a really good dribbler and stood out loads in dribbling stats, which is kind of unusual for someone of his size. He then got poached by Hearts, which is a bit of a blow to anyone who wanted to see him develop in the EFL. He had two seasons there. Started 15 games both times, three goals first season, two goals in the second season. So again, not catching the eye when it comes to goal scoring. And then the next move is obviously to Wickham in the championship. So, you know, two leagues up from where we last saw him in the EFL. But he had a great game here. And I think he's exactly what Wickham need right now. Um, Bayo, as we've said, has been very important to them in many ways, but has really struggled finishing chances. Kashket who I think is quite a good finisher, like deep down, has also been missing quite a lot of chances and obviously has no physical presence whatsoever, albeit can stretch play very well because he's quite quick. I think Ikpiazu is kind of a nice mixture here where he's got a physical presence. So when Bayo's off the field, they've still got that and not just Wheeler, who, who's you know who's obviously very good in the air, but, but mainly starts out wide. Um, and, you know, he showed some good hold-up play, some good link play, and he's took his goal really well. So positives for, for Wickham. If Ikpiazu can you know can keep performing like that if he can stay fit that's going to be um that's going to be a big one for them moving forward and now let's move forward ourselves um let's play a little bit of a lucky dip here george you've got a fair few games all of them pretty tight um and i want you to tell me which you'd like to talk about coventry 2 millwall 1 huddersfield 1 reading 2 stoke nil bournemouth 1 preston nil forest 1 or birmingham nil blackburn 2 I'll do a bit on Millwall against Cov, I think. Nice. Um, I mean, Millwall have won once at home all season. They haven't won at home in their last eight. Uh, <clears throat> is it as simple as to say that the reason Millwall's home record has been so good over the past few years or over the past however many decades is because of the nature of the stadium and the fan base and the impact they make? Or is this just a, a pretty poor Millwall side who are being exposed for being quite a poor side? Um, after the game, Mark Robbins said about Mill, he said, you know, Gary's side's always tough to beat. They're always a difficult opposition. I mean, if that's true, then Coventry made it look like just a nice thing he was saying after the game because they dominated this game totally from start to finish. Uh, you know, they went ahead after 25 minutes and then the pressure continued to be pretty relentless. The, the only attack really of note that Millwall had was a led to a penalty which they which they put away later on in the second half, but they barely even troubled the Coventry side, whose whose improvement, it must be said, in recent weeks has been incredible. I mean more than recent weeks, in, in the last six, six weeks, two months. I mean defensively now they're such a solid unit. Gustavo Harm is really starting to pull the strings as well, even if um, you know, I, I don't know how much credit we can give well, it was still a decent finish. It was such a swipe, um, Harmer's goal. You know, he put a put a free kick into the wall. It came back to him and he just swiped it deflected into the bottom right hand corner jake cooper was pretty lucky not to get a hat trick of uh of goals um on the game but it was yeah I, if i was a Millwall fan i'd be i'd be really concerned now um I, there was definitely a feeling last season that neil harris was, was holding them back amongst the fan base uh Rowett came in and, and initially proved that to be true but they're now sliding very quickly down the table they're 17th they're just six points off the drop and with teams below them picking up points fairly regularly at the moment, to be honest. Um, they need to turn it around. Just five wins so far this season. That was definitely like the worst of the performances that I've seen anyway. It, yeah, it, yeah. It may be that there have been worse 
on this run. It's one of those sort of classic runs of poor form that, that started at the end of October with a 3-0 defeat against Huddersfield. And then they drew five games in a row, uh, mostly against decent opposition, Norwich, Cardiff, Reading in there as well. And when you draw five games in a row, the classic question is always like, oh, you know, are these draws mostly going to turn into <laughs> wins or are they mostly going to turn into draws? And in the seven games since then, they've lost four of them, uh, drawn two and won just the one against Bristol City. I mean, most of the games... is. <laughs> Until that first half against Coventry, I would have sat here and said most of the games are still pretty tight, fairly on the margins. They just don't look that exciting going forward. But, you know, they're tight games and they're very rarely getting thrashed. But as you said, Kov ran all over them in the first half. And that was very, very concerning. I mean, I, I happen to think that six points above the relegation zone, having played a game or two less than most... That was that was actually good news when I saw that earlier. I expected them to be closer to it. Um, so that speaks to, to the points they picked up early on in the season. But as you say, it doesn't take long for that to, to close down a bit. Um, the only other thing from this game is I just love how lively Mark Robbins is tactically. Like, he really does switch it up so often. And it's very rarely to the detriment of his team. Like, tactical changes can be... It's, it's, it's an easy one to sort of go with lazy narratives as a pundit or as someone analysing games. When there's a manager who's pretty lively tactically, when the results aren't coming, you say they don't know their best system, they don't know their best team, and the chopping and changing is hurting the, the rhythm of the side. And when it's going well, you know, when their tactical changes are generally keeping them in games or, or raising their performance levels, then, of course, you say, well, you're a tactical genius. And so far, that's where I am with Mark Robbins. He went back to the, the old box midfield. Um, I got a stick for calling it a 3-6-1, which is probably fair. We'll call it a 3-4-2-1. But Shipley and O'Hare were behind the striker and they were excellent. Um, Hare, O'Hare specifically had just... It wasn't so much he had more space than usual. I guess it was just less attention because Shipley was there as well um, and that first goal albeit a comedy own goal in the end was a really nice move so great win for Kov after a after a, 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 a brief poor run of form uh, I'm going to talk about what am I going to talk about Huddersfield Reading I think uh, my main thought here was that Huddersfield loves shooting themselves in the foot <laughs> like you know, they went ahead here, brilliant leap and header from Fraser Campbell they've been on good form especially at home they'd won five in a row but you can't trust them. You cannot trust Huddersfield defensively. And I do not want to pick on young players because I think that is harsh. Um, but as much as Lucas Rao's goal was, his second goal was, I thought, simply sensational. And, and one of those very underrated goals, it wasn't like spectacular necessarily because it didn't fly into the top corner. But the the control, the awareness, the, the little turn and the power on the finish into the corner was unbelievable. The keeper, Schofield, couldn't get near it. But the first goal was embarrassing. Like, if you pause the ball when it's at its, when it's sort of halfway towards Joao being punted, <laughs> not punted forward by McIntyre, lofted forward, I'd say, by McIntyre, you would think to yourself, how on earth will he end up scoring this? Ramani Edmonds-Green is like, he's probably got two yards on him. Um, it looks like he understands the flight of the ball. Maybe the keeper could come anyway. The whole thing was a bit of a disaster, but Joao made the most of it. And yeah, my, my big takeaway from the weekend, very much cherry picking a stat to look good on Quest <laughs> is that uh, and to appeal to the Reading fans. Um, but yeah, a, a better minutes per goal record than Adam Armstrong and Ivan Tony. Um, I sort of slightly wrongly said, which means if he stayed fit, he'd be up there with them. But I suppose I do kind of believe that. So there you go. His goal-scoring exploits have been magnificent, and it's a huge boost for for Reading, who is it's a funny one. Like 
The start of the season was so eye-catching with the wins. And then the poor run of form was so eye-catching with the defeats. And mm. actually, we've probably had about 10 games now on an even keel. And what that 10 games has told me is that certainly thanks uh, in some part to the points they picked up early on, they're definitely a playoff contender, a contender for you know fifth or sixth where they are at the moment. Yeah, I kind of summed up what I think of Reading early on when we were talking about the top four, where there seems to be more of a process in terms of, of, of the way they're winning games now. I, I feel like there's less coming down to, to chance. You know, they're creating not plenty of chances, but they're creating a few more chances. They definitely look more solid at the back. I'm, I'm still not necessarily sure in terms of just pure personnel. Their, their back four is, is good enough to really challenge towards the top end. But again, they kept a Huddersfield side who have given, you know, caused a lot of teams problems this season. They kept them pretty quiet for the most part. And even if it ends up being the individual talents of Joao, of of uh, Ajaria, of, of Elise, I'm, I'm now calling him Elise again, apparently, because that's what he calls himself, but I have no idea. Um, they, rather than kind of a tactical genius or, or, or quality throughout the team, then I think that's going to just give them enough points. Over the course of the season, I think we, Lucas Joao will do that enough times. I think Ovi Ajaria will do that enough times. I, I don't think they're going to, break into the, the promotion race necessarily. It's going to be a big January to see if they can you keep hold the, of Elise. The automatic promotion race. Yeah, the automatic promotion race. But I'd now be surprised if we saw an, an alarming drop-off down down the division. Yeah, agreed. Um, and yeah, sorry if I was harsh on Huddersfield because they had been on a good run. But I just find them very soft defensively, the goals they concede. As much as the goals they score are generally pretty beautiful uh, and their attacking patterns of play are delightful um and i just i just can't say the same about the other end of the pitch which is slightly holding them back um and i would also in defense of corboran say that in terms of a drop-off between first 11 and sort of second string huddersfields is about as big as anyone else in the division which is hard to understand given they came down from the premier league only 18 months ago uh, and have the benefit of parachute payments but there we go um stoke nil bournemouth won i don't think there was a ton in this game um apart from basically carbon copy Cherry's chances cooked up by Lewis Cook um, from the base in midfield. One ball over the top, um, which was a good chance for someone I've forgotten that was missed. Solanke, I think, hit the bar, mm. didn't he? Um, yeah. And then you might have thought that the young goalkeeper Bursic would have learned from that uh, to either come out properly or stay on his line, <laughs> but sadly he didn't. And to be fair, I think it speaks to how good the ball the balls were from Cook because they were absolute perfection. Uh, and the second time it happened, Stanislas rolled it in. Um, for Stoke, it, it's a, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? They've their games are so insanely low margin. Like they've only taken ten shots on target in the last six games, which is the lowest in the division. But they've only faced sixteen shots on target, which I think is the fifth or sixth best record in the division. So. It's easy to see why in their in their last twelve games, George, they've won four of them by one goal, they've lost three of them by one goal, and they've drawn the other five, four of them nil nil. Um, that's nine goals total, four and against in their last ten, uh, four goals total in their last six, which is the period that Tyrese Campbell has been out for. So it's clear that in order to maintain a playoff push, which is what they're doing at the moment, just outside a couple of points. They are going to need to find ways to to create chances more regularly. Um, and maybe they'll do that in, in the January transfer window. Uh, pacey young Welshman, Rabbi Matondo, has joined 
sort of mm. slightly mixed reports. I, I this time last year I thought he was an absolute wonder kid from what I'd heard from Schalke. Now Schalke having basically not won in about twelve months, uh, <laughs> apparently he's he's rubbish and he's definitely not ready for top tier football. So uh, as usual, the the reality is probably somewhere in between. But if anyone can whisper the best out of the rabbi, I think uh, Michael O'Neill is probably the man. Um, which leaves you, George Preston, Neil Forest one or Birmingham nil Blackburn two. <clears throat> I'll take the easy one and do Preston nil Forest one because there's really not very much to say here. Um, Forest won the game, but did very very little again in terms of, of of what they created, in terms of what they did, in terms of the style of play. Um, the penalty itself looks pretty soft to me, and then quite clearly uh, Lewis Graben kicks the ball with both feet uh, as he slips over, and so it shouldn't have counted anyway. Preston, I felt like a lot of teams hit. The woodwork this uh, this Saturday. I'd like to know if there was a disproportionate amount of, of crossbar hitting, but um, Preston hit the woodwork twice. They'll probably feel like they should have won the game on the balance of play. I don't think anyone would necessarily disagree with that. Um, you know, this is three points in the same manner as Sheffield Wednesday. This is three points for Nottingham Forest, which is just as important as, as any three points will be once Chris Uton, if he ever does, gets them playing better football or, or just being a more functional football team. But it wasn't an improvement in terms of what we've seen on the pitch. They were still poor. Yeah, my my only note for this just said, don't draw major conclusions on either side for this one. Um, Birmingham nil, Blackburn two. This game again, kind of hinged, or at least the the first half hinged on a refereeing decision, uh, and then the the immediate aftermath that is uh, a penalty appeal. I think it was on Sanchez. It looked to me after about ten replays, I probably landed on the side of, yeah, I think Bell doesn't realise Sanchez is nipping in and is going to kick the ball. Sanchez nips in and Bell kind of catches him. So I thought it probably should have been a penalty compounded by the fact that with Birmingham sort of slightly irate and slightly open, certainly more open than you'd expect, uh, not ideal against this Blackburn side, particularly Harvey Elliott's delightful, delectable through ball Hmm. with the outside of his left foot for Adam Armstrong was slightly glossed over because of the... (laughs) Penalty appeal and Armstrong's composed finish as well there. Um, It's only one point in Birmingham's last six games, 14 goals conceded as well. So the old Karanka anchor uh, sort of strong defence has slightly left the building recently. Now, I would still lean towards that, that probably coming back at some point but certainly we're half a season through now and there's there's absolutely no suggestion in my eyes that they're that that they are about to become a very good attacking side so I can see why the fan base this weekend specifically felt like a real blow um, and they're really feeling pretty down about their prospects a lot of people giving it the old like we're definitely getting relegated which you know when you're four points above the relegation places I would say is probably a bit premature but as we said last week with Forrest and, and Derby, you'd say probably going to get a little bit better over the course of the season. Sheffield Wednesday, maybe, depending on an appointment. Uh, it is slightly concerning times for those teams who are only just above it. Uh, and for Tony Mowbray, I loved how he just wasn't getting carried away by this at all. Given the stick he's got recently on Blackburn's poor form, I mean, I would have probably expected him to come out fighting and give it, you know, give it a bit back almost. But he was like, we didn't even play well here. Um, he he kind of knows, I think, that they've had better performances where they've lost Blackburn uh, than this performance, which ended up with a 2-0 win. But so beautiful to see Bradley Dack scoring. Literally, like, if you'd asked me what I thought was an archetypal Bradley Dack goal last week, I'd have said, swept, <laughs> swept home from the edge of the box, like 
powerful and right in the corner first time finish probably as well like a little loose ball or something and it's exactly what it was um brilliant to see him coming back and scoring swift started for reading as well so we've got a few players back this weekend properly um that we've really missed which is great uh also worth pointing out blackburn's injury issues like many teams uh, which meant they had bradley johnson at center back uh and barry douglas at right back who had a very impressive game in fairness um as a an inverted right back uh, george we're sponsored by the athletic and before we move on to League One, we wanted to flag up a piece written by Dom Fifield, brilliant athletic writer, doesn't yes. doesn't specifically cover the EFL, but has done a piece which does touch on some EFL themes and has some really tasty nuggets in there for us. Yeah, it does. Um, it is a piece flagging up, is it 10 players um, who could be available for Premier League clubs on the cheap? And it features three EFL players, Michael Olise, uh, Max Watters, Waters, I should say, Waters. and Joel Randall, and Joel Randall as well. Um, and it, it's really interesting because I, I don't think many people have probably spoken about those three people as much as us two have over the last um, four or five months. But there's definitely a... Um, a lot in here that we didn't already know and my favorite is with with waters and, and we've i think we've even requested on sky like if anyone can tell us more about this situation where this guy who'd been released from doncaster didn't have a club in, in october how he ended up at, at crawley if there were other offers and dom has managed to shed some light on that well i'm just going to read out the first paragraph of this and because we don't want to give away too much but we'll read read out this and then you know, you can go and read it for yourselves or you can sign up and read it if you haven't already. Retreat briefly to September and Waters, a free agent following his release from League One's Doncaster Rovers, was failing to convince Bromley and Dagenham and Redbridge that he should be offered a new contract in the fifth tier National League. A third trial took the striker back to Maidstone United, one rung lower on the ladder where he had spent time on loan at the end of last season. The club's manager, Hakan Hayretin, was keen to secure a deal for a player of considerable potential and suggested the 21-year-old had had a run-out in a pre-season friendly against Crawley Town. His excellence that day cost the Kent club his signature and could yet see Crawley glean a seven-figure fee for his services after just a few months. That is unbelievable. Yemzy. Absolutely unbelievable. Yemzy just picking out an opposition player during a pre-season friendly um, and saying, I fancy a little bit of that. Uh, unbelievable. I do think he will move on. Waters, I think we're going to be looking at around a million pounds for a player that signed for free 12 weeks ago. I mean, given in any season, that would be an incredible piece of transfer business from a League Two club in this season, particularly um, with the issues with revenue for clubs at that level. It is absolutely unbelievable. It's incredible. Um, some nice nuggets about Joel Randall as well. For example, I didn't know that he's the son of 1990s Burnley and York City winger. Adrian Randall. Uh, I wonder how he ended up in the Southwest. Um, but yeah, some nice quotes from Matt Taylor there, and obviously a nod to the Exeter Academy. Um, the usual sort of stuff on Michael O'Lees and a potential release clause, which is kind of being disputed a little bit at the moment, uh, but seems to be either £8 million or a little bit more than that, um, which, as you can imagine, is alerting some Premier League teams. And then just one that's like, I feel like we're sort of touting EFL players to the Premier League, where we don't really want them to go because we want to keep covering them. I did note that Damari Gray um, certainly is is sort of on the list, uh, on the transfer list for Leicester. And I think from, from what Dom suggests, he will probably go to another Premier League team, maybe a Crystal Palace or someone like that. But if there's mm. any chance 
I would love to see him in the championship if anyone can stretch to that because this is entirely with my England under-21s hat on. Um, as some of you guys know, I've been to the last two uh, under-21 Euros, firstly with George, but then the second time with a couple of other pals as he sadly couldn't make it. And so I do follow the, the under-21s, I guess, as a fan. And Damari Gray's been a part of both of those European Championship squads. And at that level, you often see players because it's, it's you know, there's still an age restriction. Um, they're still young players. You do often see players that just look head and shoulders above, either in terms of their development, sometimes in terms of their physique, and sometimes in terms of their technical skill. And Gray kind of ticked all of the boxes last time I saw him play for the under-21s. Um, he just looked... He looked a little bit quicker. He looked more skillful. He looked more powerful. And, and, you know, he's obviously, he had played a lot of football early on in his career. Um, if there's any chance of an EFL club getting him, I really, really hope they do because I would love to see him rip it up. I think he would. I'm sure it would take him a few games to acclimatise. Hasn't played a lot of football, might be a bit rusty. But if anyone's listening and has got a spare couple of million quid plus exceptionally high wages, which, as I say, it sounds unlikely. Um, <laughs> let's get Damari Gray into the championship. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Search for Fifield and you can read this piece. Uh, it's a really good piece. Of course, there's so much good stuff on the, the Athletic site. And if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20, you can sign up with a 50% discount. So you could have a, a year subscription around two quid fifty a month less than the coffee I paid for on the weekend on one of my Ooh. daily walks, which really disgusted me. Um, okay, League <laughs> League One now, George. Um, I think probably if you want to hear us wax lyrical about League leaders Lincoln, you should go back to last week because we had a good old go. Uh, a big ups to Michael Appleton and the squad that he has built. They beat Wimbledon on the weekend. This is kind of shrouded in controversy because Wimbledon had a couple of positive tests told the EFL on top of on top of a big injury crisis as well, requested a postponement and the EFL said no. Um, so it did go ahead, much to the chagrin of, uh, of, the, of, Ooh, of, hello. of Wimbledon <laughs> uh, and of Glyn Hodges. Uh, and Lincoln did win 2-1, despite the fact that their own manager, Michael Appleton, was at home having tested positive for COVID. So this is kind of the start of the, the COVID farce, I guess, really. Um, but on the pitch... George Grant was brilliant once again. He's gone from talented young player, sort of tricky number 10, who probably floats in and out of games, but has got great technical ability, to senior player for the top team in League One, pulling the strings, dropping deep, orchestrator extraordinaire uh, and creator. Uh, and that's brilliant. Wimbledon's not been on a great run of form recently, have they? And they're, they're only just above the relegation places now, albeit with a couple of games in hand. So um, it's been a, a tough couple of weeks for them, for sure. Hull 2, Charlton 0. Um, George Hull hadn't played for two weeks and prior to that they'd lost three games in a row to drop off the top so it, it was probably quite significant actually that they that they cracked back on with this sort of performance and I guess even more important the result against uh, a good Charlton side yeah and, and the manner of it as well um, obviously <clears throat> Darren Prattley sending off after an hour was quite a big moment in this game uh, for an off ball incident um we haven't seen it nobody's really seen it so we can't really comment but from start to finish Hull were with a better side here um they were really impressive I thought that George Honeyman's assist for Greg Doherty's second goal was a brilliant back heel he's just he's a very very different player to the one we saw at Sunderland now he he seems to be <clears throat> just able to do every aspect of being that that creative midfielder so well um 
and you've got to be impressed by him. And I think for Hull to put in the manner the manner of performance that they did, given the poor run of form, um, was was impressive. Manic Wilkes, unlucky not to get on the score sheet as well. Um, and it's it's a difficult one this for Charlton. That's now three games in a row without a win, having drawn with both Swindon and Plymouth. And you know they've only mustered four shots here. Uh, you know it feels like they're a team at the moment who are in the middle of a bit of a mid-season blip. But again, in the same way we spoke about Hull, Charlton's start to the season was better than I think anybody anticipated. It's put them right in the mix at the top end of League One. I think they're they're kind of we can allow them this this little mini blip. They've got two home games come up against against Accrington and Rochdale, which they expect to take points from. They've actually got a fairly easy run of fixtures now anyway. So it's just a case of understanding. I mean, Hull have done this to a few decent sides so far this season. Just because Hull came in into it on the back of a difficult run doesn't take away from from their good start either. So a really good win for Hull. Trouble for Charlton, but, but I wouldn't be too concerned. Yeah, well, I'm a little concerned only because I've I predicted a very strong second half to the season for Charlton specifically. And we are not at the halfway point. Yeah, in, in League One terms, so it's too easy to say. But yeah, the, the the recent performances, as well as the results, have been a little concerning in, in that regard. Not a huge amount of consistency, either from game to game or even at times within games. Um, you know, even one of their eye-catching wins of, of recent times um, was a big second half against Wimbledon, having played poorly in the first half. So just looking for a bit more consistency. You'd hope that that will happen as the players gel. Um, But I have said before, you can't just assume that players will gel. It doesn't always happen. And there are teams where that doesn't happen. So um, still a a bit of a job for for Lee Boyer to improve the performance levels and make sure that Charlton stick around that top six. I think that's where they should expect to finish, um, even after what was a very disrupted start to the season. Uh, And as for Hull, what a lovely second goal, as you said. I think the most notable part um, or off-field thing for Hull at the moment is about Keane Lewis-Potter. Um, who obviously we spoke a lot about at the start of the season. He was on the bench again, or started on the bench anyway, uh, on the weekend. And there has been apparently no progress between the chairman uh, and Lewis Potter's representatives um, over a sort of new contract. And yeah, as you can imagine, because of the sort of player that he is, because of the skill set that he has, um, there are going to be people sniffing around. There will be people looking with interest at this and what Hull what Hull cannot afford for a number of reasons is another situation where they they lose a player um at an inopportune time so let's hope that they can get that sorted out I'd love to see Lewis Potter um be a part of a Hull promotion push this season and then see what happens in the summer um Burton one Oxford five George how much (laughs) are we going to overreact to Oxford beating the worst team in the league easy (laughs) I think it's more, it's not just this performance and result, it's just a trend upwards ever since losing to Swindon 2-1. Um, you know, I tweeted after the game, it's seven games since then, four wins, three defeats, 15 scored, four against. Um, it feels like Oxford have have kind of turned up a bit late to the party, really. Um, whether it's too late, I, I don't necessarily think so, given their four points off the playoffs. Um, but I watched the game and it was just incredibly impressive. I mean, Burton, of course, were very poor and defensive calamity at the back helped I mean when you've got a back three including John Joe O'Toole Kieran Wallace and John Brayford like it's it doesn't really feel like this was planned very well um but you know Oxford could only beat what was put in front of them and did so brilliantly and and I just can't believe I I just cannot believe the transformation of Sam Long as a footballer I've never really seen anything like it where you've got a player who 
a right back who was pretty sound defensively. You know, as a one-on-one defender, he was okay, but was lacking. It looked kind of any of the technical and physical talent needed to to be a League One player, let alone higher. In the last few weeks, he's transformed into a flying right wing back, like an assist machine with eight with, with three assists in the game. Um, you know, two of them to his to to the left back. Oh no, one of them to the left back, Josh Ruffles. It's it, yeah, it's it's remarkable, and and this Oxford team very quickly improving um, to a level where, with a couple of key additions, I, I think they could be playing at a level similar to what got them into the playoff final last season. And with the teams we've mentioned already dropping points above them, you know, it might not be too long until they're in that mix. And Burton, uh, their new manager is Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, uh, returning to the club, where lest you forget, he took over from Gary Rowett, who moved from Burton to Birmingham City, um, with Burton, I think, fifth in League Two when he took over. And he left them uh, with Burton top of League One, so not only achieving uh, promotion, but then going again um, and Mm. and left them right at the top of League One. Of course, Nigel Clough sort of steered them home and, and got them up to the championship. So if I were a Burton fan, I would be unbelievably chuffed with this like do you know what I mean um the fact is that his stint at at Queen's Park Rangers and then at Northampton means that there are lots of people who support those two clubs that think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank is a very bad manager there'll be people at Burton who will think the very opposite um and I suppose that's kind of the key here he comes into a situation where you know it's it it's an easy one well no it's a simple equation for him to earn plaudits move Burton off the bottom of League One, maybe keep a clean sheet for the first time this season at some point. That Mm. would be nice as well. Try and achieve safety, in which case you would have genuinely done a 10 out of 10 job from now to the end of the season. And if they go down, then he's obviously not going to get a ton of stick for it, given the position that they're in. So this is a bit of a slow burner. We don't think that Burton are really in the in the in the business of chopping and changing managers. Of course, Jake Buxton did leave, but I don't think anyone could say he didn't get a, a fair crack of the whip this season, at least. Um, so I think this is a bit of a slow burner, not one to judge too quickly um, or too strongly, either positive or negative. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see him back, certainly in the in the Burton dugout. Bristol Rovers beat Blackpool Blackpool two one. Really entertaining game this one. It was you know. Yeah. 2-1, but could have probably been 3-all um, for sure. A, a positive performance from Rovers, uh, albeit helped by some wayward shooting, I think it's fair to say, from uh, from Blackpool. Um, but of course, Rovers missed a penalty of their own. So I think they were good for the win in general. It's been a, an interesting start under Tisdale. They've almost had like, I quite like it really, because we don't, we don't love, we don't really buy into the new manager bounce narrative, right? And they didn't get that. Uh, Tisdale's first three games against Swindon, Wigan and Gillingham, they only got one point. But since then, three wins in four, beating Blackpool, Plymouth and Wimbledon, uh, who are all decent sides. So they might not have got a new manager bounce out of Tisdale in the way that people sometimes think that teams do. But I think they're now starting to benefit in a more sustainable way from potentially just having a better manager in charge. And uh, it's kind of of a funky setup at the moment. They played... I mean, some places are listing it as a diamond, but some people are even sticking a little Christmas tree formation out there, George. It all hinges on where Sam <laughs> Sam Nicholson's playing. He's kind of mobile wide forward who is either playing up top alongside Hanlon or just in behind alongside Oztuma. I think that kind of reflects how fluid his role is. Uh, and he's been at the heart of, of basically all of the good things that they've done under Tisdale. So he's getting the best out of a player who, who spent the last few years in MLS. Um, I think he's had quite an interesting career path up to this point. Um, but yeah, so it is kind of a funky team. You've got Max Aimer playing at right back, 
who's probably not the flying fullback that you might want in a team that, that doesn't have a huge amount of width in the final third. Um, and Hanlon, not a classic number nine as well. So a little bit of funkiness, but it's going quite well. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Rovers over the next few weeks. Um, Plymouth Argyle 1, Gillingham 0. Jeff Kurt on the score sheet. But maybe more notable... As ever. ...that Plymouth's form appears to have just turned the corner again uh, and, <clears throat> and, crucially, keeping a clean sheet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they were good value for the win. They probably feel like, if anything, if anybody was going to score again, it would have been them. After losing 3-2 at home in midweek as well, um, you know, Ryan Lowe's done well to steady the ship because the wheels... That's a combination of two different. I was going to say the wheels have fallen off, but ships don't have wheels. Well, so. what about the, what about those um, what about They're those rudderless like, those buses that you can get in London, which drive along the road and then just slide straight into the river? I've never been on one. I've never <laughs> been on one. Um, the duck bus. But this was, you know, it was a game where there was action in both in both penalty boxes, and Plymouth came out on top um, thanks to Jeffcoat again, who, you know, he's probably another player who surely there are going to be inquiries made as to his availability in January because he's 20. Ryan, um, which is Ryan Lowe called him the hottest property in the country. Big statement. Jeff Kitt is certainly a player who you'd feel if he were to leave Plymouth, you would be concerned. You know, we've seen it happen before with, with key players leaving sides in January when it looks like they're, you know, in, happily in mid-table. But very things can change very quickly and they are so light on his goals at the moment you know sitting in 15th place but just seven points off the drop um it's imperative that Plymouth do keep hold of him but this was a big win this was a big win just to put a bit of distance between themselves and that that area down towards the bottom get another win on win on the um under their belt and also just at home because their home form has been so important and losing midweek wouldn't have helped that at all I want to shout out given that we're all focusing on Jeffka Really nice near post run from Ryan Hardy to drag some defenders away, create space for Jeffcott. Crucial. Um, and yeah, the amount of goals that Jeffcott seems to score from those balls from the left side, uh, whether it's Cooper or someone else putting them in, um, really, really impressive. Joint top scorer in League One now. Um, I mean, we would be talking differently about that game and potentially not talking about it at all uh, if Willock had not headed over from about three yards yeah. <laughs> right at the end. So small margins, uh, Northampton nil, Sunderland nil. Great week for Northampton, you have to say. Uh, they beat Gillingham in midweek, and this was a more than deserved draw, I would say, uh, against a Sunderland side that hadn't played for it, played for a good few weeks. Uh, Northampton now on 22 points from their 21 games. That's two points above Rochdale, who are in that sort of top relegation place. But Rochdale do have three games in hand, so a valuable week for Northampton um, just to give themselves a little bit of breathing room. And in League Two, we've got new leaders. Carlisle United. Beach ball. Pretty crazy that Northampton have been at the summit of League Two for, for quite such a long time, given that they really <laughs> haven't been on particularly good form over the last 10 games. But it speaks to how well they started the season. But I don't think there can be any argument, George, that after however many games we've had, 20-odd, it's pretty hard to keep track at the moment. Carlisle have, have been the best side in League Two and sit pretty at the top of the table and might take some some shifting from there i think yeah i agree i agree Good. um if you told me 18 months ago that i'd be on bbc radio 5 live talking about beach ball i wouldn't have known what you're talking about <laughs> but here we were on saturday um before i get on to carlisle the interesting thing at the top of, of league two is that you mentioned that carlisle haven't been on a great run came into this having picked up one point from their last two games beforehand mm. of course dropping those points against bolton having been three nil up newport haven't won in the last four 
Forest Green haven't won in their last two. Cheltenham haven't won in their last five. So those teams towards the top end who we probably expected to maybe pull away are suddenly facing up to sides below them who are playing, you know, Morecambe have won five of their last six. Crawley have won four of their, three of their last four. So you've got all these sides in behind catching up very quickly. And that means it's now, it's ridiculously bunched. Mm. First to ninth, separated by six points. You know, Leighton Orient, six points off top. Um, Exciting. So, so basically what I'm saying is being top of the table in League Two maybe isn't as significant as it is, say, in the Championship, where the gap between Norwich and third is the same between, as between Carlisle and Leighton Orient. But Carlisle are brilliant. And that is has to be said. You know they've gone to Walsall side, who again are one of these teams who've been playing fairly well recently, and they've done a job on them, doing exactly what they do, playing really nice football, pressing very high, restricting Walsall to to, to few chances. They had just seven shots in the game, despite taking the lead fairly early. Um, it they strike me as the team, especially because of Newport and the issues that we're going to see with Newport's pitch in, in the coming weeks and what that means for fixture congestion and all this other stuff, especially because of this run of form we're seeing from Cheltenham, which we haven't really seen before under, under Michael Duff either. So there's got to be question marks there. Carlisle looked to me like the most solid team. They look like the side who are turning in, you know, a, a poor performance from Carlisle is a seven out of 10 performance. And it's that kind of ability uh, which normally sees you through, and especially because they started the season fairly poorly as well. So you can almost write off that those teething times early on. Um, yeah, I'm I'm all into beach ball. Nice debut, I think a full debut, I should say, from Taylor Charters uh, in midfield. Um, could be big for them. I know that Callum Guy came off injured in this one, who's been big for them in the centre of the park, and showed really nice awareness to, to lay the ball off to Omari Patrick, uh, a, a Cumbrian lad, which is good to see, just like Jared Branthwaite, George, who they sold to Everton <laughs> uh, this time last year, who looks like he might be coming back to the EFL on loan, which I would be buzzing about sadly I don't think it will be in League 2 but but most likely in the Championship but yeah a really positive win for Carlisle they, they beat a Walsall side who had that really good run of form and now have, have chucked in a couple of pretty miserable displays losing to Walsall um, last week and then uh, and then this result and performance against Carlisle that was just pretty insipid and yes they're up against a good team but the, the current strong narrative uh, amongst the Walsall fan base is that they are so heavily reliant on Rory Holden that when he's not playing they have huge issues, and the issue is George Rory Holden might well be out for the season, according to Daryl Clark. So, you know, there was that good run of form where you had Holden, you had Gordon who'd come back from injury, you had Wes McDonald, and you had Adebayo. And with those four at the top end of the pitch, you can understand, you know, why you could go on a good run, why you could create and take quite a few chances. But it seems that Holden's creative sort of the way that he can unlock defences is basically not matched by anyone else in the Walsall side, certainly not in the final third. So it's one to watch out for because they did move up towards the playoff places, um, but now potentially might drop back down again. Uh, Cambridge beat Grimsby Town 2-1. Brilliant strike from Paul Mullen, who let's not yes. forget, you know, despite your, your Watterses and your Danny Johnsons. Um, He's still at the top. Mullen, the top goal scorer in the EFL. Um, has 18 goals already, which is absolutely brilliant. And this was a, a, a magnificent take. Cambridge have been on quite weird form recently. Um, they're still in the playoff places, of course, thanks to that really strong start to the season. But they have lost five uh, of their last eight games, um, but better form recently. They beat Colu and then lost to Bradford. They beat Orient and then lost to Stevenage. And then they beat Grimsby. So I can't really place Cambridge at the moment, um, given that they're losing to sides down at the bottom. But they seem to be beating... Uh, teams in and around them. Um, for Grimsby, 
Well, movement on what we discussed last week, the fact that the, the fans were really trying to put pressure on the owner, John Fenty, to move on. It looks like he's done that. Uh, he's accepted a bid from a, a, a trio of, of potential new owners uh, and they'll be being vetted now by the EFL ahead of a takeover. And this is linked to a redevelopment um, in, in Grimsby as a town, which they are at the heart of as well. Um, one, of the, one of the new owners um, or the incoming owners, which could be magnificent for the town, which could be great for the football club as well. We have to hope that they, in buying the football club, are doing so for the right of the football club uh, and not just for their own ends, I guess. But um, to move on from, from John Fenty, whose era had certainly come to an end, has got to be positive. And the hire of Paul Hurst, George, I mean... <sighs> I think we rate Paul Hurst a lot higher than certainly fans of Scunthorpe and Ipswich Town, but probably not as much as fans of Shrewsbury and, dare I say it, Grimsby, who he took back into the league not too long ago. So it's, it, it's kind of one of those appointments which felt it kind of feels right. Feels right. Yeah, it does feel right. Um, you know, he was the, the manager who you know, took over a Grimsby in their previous lowest ebb, or still lower than this because they were in non-league and... and it was a long-term project. It wasn't a case where he came into Grimsby and immediately took them up into into the EFL. It took a couple, a few seasons. They lost um, at Wembley the season before they went up to Bristol Rovers uh, and then beat Forest Green the next year. Or it might be the other way around. I can't remember. Um, I was at both games, so it's good to know my memory is holding up. But um, but it's you know, and then he left the season after to, to moved on from Shrewsbury. And since he left. Grimsby have kind of struggled for an identity. I'd say that they've done pretty well to stay in League Two in, in the period of time that Paul Hurst hasn't been there. They haven't really challenged further up from anywhere beyond kind of mid-table area. Um, and, and given what's happening with the takeover, hopefully happening with the takeover, his return to the club at a time where, you know, I'm not necessarily sure Paul Hurst would have been an immediate choice for many teams in League Two now after what happened at Scunthorpe. Um, I, I don't think he, you know, it's a kind of a similar position maybe to Derek Adams or someone where he was going to have to take on a club that maybe was below where he thought his track record at Shrewsbury um, and at Grimsby would have taken him. But back at a club where he's done it well, where he's done well before, hopefully with new owners as well, it can be the start of something new and exciting for Grimsby and they can continue their upward trajectory they were on when he left a few years ago. Well, it wasn't a great start from them, was it? Um, no. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's fair to say that I don't think he's too impressed with the squad that he's been left because it's actually quite a lot of numbers in the building and potentially not a ton of quality. Um, an amazing quote, actually. I, I honestly thought that this had been made up because it's just kind of ridiculous, but it's great. It's quite poetic, to be honest. Basically talking about how little creativity there is in the team. Says, you can put a dog on the pitch and it will run around, said Hurst. But you won't do very well with 11 dogs. <laughs> That's amazing. Tell that to the Terriers of Huddersfield. Um, let's um, Leighton Orient with a, a brilliant win against Salford. Um, Salford's defence is so good. Their defensive record is so good. Um, that just scoring against them um, is, a, is an achievement in itself. And when you have Danny Johnson, um, you have a pretty good chance of doing so. I'm going to get a little bit nerdy now because I love using the FB Ref website. Um, for football stats. Sadly, it's not as in-depth in League 2 and League 1 uh, as it is for the Championship, and it's not as in-depth for the Championship as it is in the Premier League, but it is excellent. And using FB Ref, I can tell you that Danny Johnson scores 0.38 goals with every shot he takes, which is a stupid, which is a stupid way of saying he basically scores better than one in every three shots he takes. And only Max Waters 
at 0.39 just to tick ahead um, beats him in the whole EFL. But generally, players' conversion rates are nowhere near that. Um, and I think he's taken 38 shots uh, and scored 14 <laughs> goals. And Paul Mullin has taken 76 shots for his 18 goals. So just in, in pure conversion terms, uh, what Danny Johnson doing is amazing. And that, you know, in the same way that I said Bradley Dak's goal was like the archetypal Bradley Dak goal. Danny Johnson seems to score the goal that he scored this weekend regularly, like a low left-footed angle drive in off the far post. Um, League two goalkeepers finding that very difficult to deal with. And we've spoken about Max Waters, so let's put him to one side. We've spoken about him more than enough already, given that he hasn't played the last two games for Crawley and given that he probably won't ever play again for Crawley. But even without him, George, Yems's Crawley are in the playoffs. I know. When, when did that happen? In the last few weeks, they picked up loads of wins. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. They went to Bolton and won 1-0 in classic Crawley fashion. They scored a brilliant goal. I mean, they are. Uh, there are so many teams across the EFL who maybe aren't the best teams in their leagues, but who score a very high quality of goal. And Crawley do. Uh, and as ever, Tom Nichols at the heart of it with a brilliant assist for Frankham. Um, you have to say that Glenn Morris in goal, who's been brilliant for them for years, um, made, I think, seven saves, one of which was particularly excellent. He's got to be one of the unsung heroes in the whole EFL, I think. I think he is. I put him in my League Two team in the season on the yes. a- on the Athletic uh, to much consternation from fans whose teams did much better than Crawley. And I was like, lads, he has to face like three times as many shots as any of your keepers and he still makes more saves. Um, anyway, uh, I don't really know what to say about Crawley except that... <laughs> They won one away game in the whole of last season. Um, and I think they've won three in a row now. So, bit of a pantomime villain, John Yems, for those early season interviews that went viral. But genuinely, genuinely, in flipping a player from to make a million quid profit in the space of 10 to 12 weeks, and in turning around the fortunes of your club, who were nowhere near the playoffs in the last few years, to be in with a shot of the playoffs now, it's, an, it's a hell of an effort from Yemsey. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is incredible. You, it, it's interesting for us because if John Yems, you, I think we've got to look at our own preconceptions here. Like if John Yems was 38 years old and, you know, a, a media darling and was managing this Crawley side in exactly the way that he is at the moment, would we be giving him more credit? I think the answer is probably yes. And that 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 isn't really right because... He is somebody who doesn't really... Well, I mean, I said he doesn't really like the limelight. He does when it's negative reasons. Um, but in terms of... You look at other managers who've given massive credit for in, in terms of the way they've turned their clubs around. You look at Mike Duff at Cheltenham last season, a very similar job. You look at uh, Chris Beach at Carlisle, who's a very similar job, although he has taken them a little bit higher so far. Yems has to come into that category. Um, massive credit to him and his background staff because nobody saw this coming. How are they going to reinvest the million pounds that's coming their way from Max Waters, I'm excited to see because, you know, all evidence suggests that John Yems can spot a player and, and, and set up a team pretty well. Absolutely. He's got some pretty good links from from previous jobs. I know that he was heavily involved with Bournemouth um, and he was a coach at Fulham. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's one of those guys with a lot of contacts, I think it's fair to say. Um, as you mentioned, uh, so tight now in the top, well, basically the top half of League Two, so it's really hotting up well. And Mansfield beat Port Vale 4-0. Jordan Barry hat-trick here. His finish for the third especially lovely. 
Um, yeah. Uh, one of them was a bit of a goal mouse scramble and the other one was a penalty. Um, I mean, I've always had a bit of a weird thing for Jordan Barry. I've spoken about it on the pod before and like I've definitely not been proven right. <laughs> Don't get me wrong in general. There, there are some... The way I always frame it is this, and maybe it's stupid to keep repeating myself when he's clearly just not like that good. But when, <laughs> but when you watch Quest, let's say every week, and when you've done that for five years, you you know the rhythm of what the football looks like as you go from Championship to League One and League Two, and whichever division you're watching at any given time, every now and again, maybe once a week, maybe not even that, you see something and you think to yourself, "Whoa, okay, that's." That's actually like a, that's much better than I would expect at this level, and for some reason Barry has a fair few of those moments for me, and yet doesn't really do anything significant outside. Yeah. Of so like his goal scoring record is not great. Uh, he got a move up to League One, which raised some eyebrows to MK Dons. That didn't work at all. He wasn't effective for them. He's 29 now. He's with Mansfield, and yeah, it's just it's obviously not really happened for him but then you I mean, see the weekend his third goal with a bit of confidence maybe that extra motivation to get a hat trick maybe it's a psychological thing but that he does things where i think you should be better than this i i think there's i mean i saw him a lot because he played for oxford for a couple of seasons and he scored one uh, for a season he scored one brilliant goal away at um at pompey he actually scored seven goals for us in 17 in the league decent but my my thing about jordan barry is you look at him and he's 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 like a physical specimen, you know. He's like probably what six foot one, six foot two, mm. built strong. You know, he's like a, he looks like he's going to be a really good kind of all action number nine. And he he's not really that. He doesn't really yeah. use his his body and his strength particularly well. He's he's technically a good footballer, but that's why I think maybe there's kind of a disconnect between the player that you're expecting to see and the player that you do see. Even though he's definitely got talent and he's definitely got you know as you say he has moments of, of brilliance, but. Um, you know, he's a player who, having seen, I think he's destined to be this kind of guy who will show flashes of brilliance in parts at League Two level. Um, but you wouldn't want to be relying on him week in, week out to do what he did to Port Vale uh, on Saturday. Well, it's a dismal Port Vale side at the moment. And I think potentially next week when we do uh, some sort of mid-season review, I'm going to go a little bit more in depth on Vale because I need I need a little bit more time basically to try and work out what on earth has happened. Um, we thought we knew what to expect uh, from them, which was a playoff tilt at the very least. We started the season feeling quite smug because it looked like that's exactly what was going to happen based on a really solid defence and good enough players in the final third. And now they've got six points in 11 games, which is about as bad a run as uh, as we've seen across the three leagues this season. Um, and as you can imagine, there's a pretty unhappy fan base off the back of that. They're in 17th now. They're only five points off the relegation zone. Um, and with Southend and Stevenage picking up more and more points, uh, you can see why they'd be getting more and more nervous as the weeks tick on. Stevenage beats Gunny 3-1. Back-to-back wins celebrated by Stevenage fans for the first time in over 18 months, George. They didn't achieve it at all last season. Of course, they were the worst team in League Two. They only won three out of about 33 games last year. Mm. Um, but it's one defeat in seven now. Them and South End making things pretty lively at the bottom of League Two, which is very welcome. Um, and a nice little tactical tweak from Alex Ravel, who, as a former striker, saw something in in playmaker Charlie Carter, centre midfielder, really. Um, <laughs> saw something that, that suggested he might do a job in the final third and it's put him up top, playing in the top two. Um, scored the winning goal in midweek and scored two really nicely taken goals um this weekend as well and he was probably their best player playing in midfield and it seems like that quality has has moved up higher up the pitch so it's pretty exciting to have stevenage 
and Southend, George, um, making things very interesting indeed after a really poor start. Because it's not... It, it, it would be wrong to say these, these two teams are now looking like they could challenge the top half, and it might just be a good run of form. But I wouldn't say that this is like a lucky run of form. No, I think the opposite. We've said on the podcast that Stevenage would do some luck, or not even do some luck, just do some results. Mm. They played plenty of games a season where they were good value for a point or more and got nothing out of it. Mm. So um, I think this was probably a game, again, where I don't think they were necessarily the dominant side here. Mm. I don't think they were like fully deserving of their three points. I thought that possibly Howard should have done better for Carter's second goal as well. Um, and they obviously nicked one on the break when Scunthorpe were pouring forward. But these were the kind of games they were losing recently, especially going 1-0 behind. Um, credit to Alex Revel and credit to the club for, for kind of retaining the faith in a, in a rookie manager who'd been on the, the kind of receiving end of some bad beats. George, just before we sign off, um, a question that we tried to answer a couple of months ago on Sky was, what is Siriki Dembele's next step and what is his ceiling? Well, Tom Barkley, as we record reporting that he has handed in a transfer request Ooh. and that will set the pulses of various championship teams alight. Can you set your pulse alight? Best not to, I think, probably. Try try your best not to, Definite, I'd say. Yeah. That's the key. Definitely try and avoid that. Thank you guys for listening to the first Not The Top 20 pod of the year. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, thanks for all your support. Thank you for your kind messages and your happy New Year's and your happy Christmases. Uh, we've had a, a brief break and I can only speak for George when I say we are invigorated ahead of 2021. <laughs> uh, it may be that the next weeks are pretty tough. Um, and as we said at the top of the show, this week will be a, a pretty lively one when it comes to uh, COVID impacting the EFL. We'll try and keep you up to date with everything, but stay well, stay safe, uh, get in touch with us at NTT20pod. If you fancy a chat, um, if you want to get involved in any way, then do let us know uh, and go well. We'll talk again second half of the week. 